Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Hey, Church Planner, this is part two of our interview with Coleman Luck, and today we're going to focus on his book, Proof of Heaven, A Mental Illusionist Examines the Afterlife Experience of Evan Alexander, M.D., from a Biblical Viewpoint. I'm Pete Mitchell, he's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Why don't you give us a uh, an overview of uh, Dr. Alexander's story, um, what he put forth in his book that uh, you went on to, to review for people who haven't read the book? Well, the first thing I would say is that I think every Christian leader ought to buy his book, as I said before, and read it. But the basic facts of the case are pretty simple. Um, this man who is a, uh, an academic neurosurgeon, uh, gifted in his field with a tremendous reputation, um, who viewed himself as a scientist first, but in the end, and this is the, the such a deceptive part of his book, in one way, he calls himself a Christian. And he says at the beginning, you know, that, that he considered himself to be a Christian, but it's very, very clear, and I think he wouldn't disagree with us, that this was nominal. He didn't go to church. He didn't read the Bible. He just was sort of generically Christian in his family tradition. And, you know, I think it was back in 2008, uh, suddenly and unexpectedly, he came down with a form of meningitis that uh, was caused by the E. coli bacterium. And this thing hit him. It normally doesn't hit adults. It's very unusual. It hit him and moved into his brain, and within a very short period of time, he went from being in great pain to being brain dead. And he was in the hospital. Uh, he spent seven days uh, in which he says during that period of time he was brain dead. His family at the end of this time, and, and a lot of his book, his book is divided into a couple of, into two different uh, aspects. The first aspect is that it examines, it talks about the experience of his family 
and his own colleagues, because he was being doctored and you know by colleagues of his, the people he'd worked with in the past, they were trying to save his life. And his family is, you know, is going through what they went through through this seven-day period. Finally, at the end, uh, they basically told the family, it's time to unplug him. You know, he's not going to make it. He's been brain dead for seven days. And it was at this point that a truly miraculous thing happened, which is absolutely was unexpected by anybody. And that was that he came back into this world again, came back to the consciousness, and he was not, his brain was not damaged in any way. And it was, the other half of the book is really a description, while he is lying brain dead in the hospital on life support, what he was experiencing in a totally different reality. And it is that reality that, was such a, a stunning and life-changing experience for him. Mm. You know, I, there are Christians who think, as I said, I think that, you know, that he's just lying, that this can't be true. I don't think so at all. I think he's absolutely telling the truth. Um, and, uh, you know, he's telling the truth as he experienced it. And, you know, the, the, the nature of what he went through and the, the truth claims, and that's the only way to put it, that are in his book, and I've tried to analyze that in my critique of his book, what were the truth claims that he makes, or that were made to him, which is really the point. Um, you know, they are, I think, some very significant things that he experienced uh, during that time that uh, give us uh, a very strong clue as to the source of the the vision that he had. And this was a vision that in his uh, his mind was more real than anything he experienced in this world. So it is not a matter of looking at this and saying, well, was this a dream or is it just some sort of an ephemeral vision that he had? No, he viewed this as absolute, utter reality. And, you know, and the, the nature of what he experienced, I've read many, many, many over a long period of time, uh, accounts of near-death experiences or what are afterlife experiences. His is unique in several ways. And the first aspect of it is where he found himself um, when he awoke to consciousness in this other reality. Uh, he found himself in an absolutely horrible place. Uh, I can't give you the full description right now. You'd have to get into his book, or you can look at it in mine. Uh, but it was a place that was um, absolutely dark. It was a place that was like, it was as though he had found himself in a sewer swamp. There was a horrible, a horrible sounds around him. He was, he was in a, just a place that was terrifying. He didn't know how to get out of it. Uh, it was a, almost like a biological sewer. The, the felt things crawling around, you know, next to him. He was terrified. Yeah. And I have never, in all the experiences that I've read about, I've never run into a situation like that. But even that is not the most significant. The other most significant part of the beginning of his experience is that from the moment he awoke, he had no personality whatsoever which means that he didn't know anything, he didn't know who he was, he didn't know where he had come from, he didn't remember a single shred of experience from his earthly life at all. He was tabula rasa. 
he was literally nothing more than what you probably would call a sentient being. Um, he and, and this remained this this view of himself without any sort of personality or even knowing that he was human. This remains throughout the entire experience that he had for this over the seven day period. After he had been in this uh, this state for an, un, an indeterminate period of time, and you know suddenly he was pulled out of it into absolute beauty. Uh, he found himself pulled out toward this light, and he found himself flying above the most beautiful landscape that he had ever seen. It was uh, of such grandeur, and he saw people down below at various points, and you know, and he was experiencing this reality that was overwhelming in its loveliness. And you know, and he just thought it was. This had to be heaven. It is heaven. Uh, he didn't necessarily use those words because he had no context in which to understand anything. But he also found himself flying across this this beautiful and vast terrain with another person. And this person beside him was a beautiful, beautiful woman. Uh, later on, after he came out of the experience, he came to believe that it was uh, a sister of his that had been lost a long, long time ago. But at the time, he didn't know who she was. He didn't know who he was. And it was during the time that they were flying together, and he said out of from her came just the most unbelievable feeling of love. And this love included every other form of love that you could ever imagine. It was, he said, just to experience the love that came from her made his whole life worth living. And they were flying. They were flying toward something. And it was while they were flying that uh, she made some statements to him that are truth claims that I think are the central truth claims of, of the book and of his experience. So that kind of gives you an overview. And, you know, the, the experience was that he continued flying toward what he considered to be, and he saw angels, he saw angelic beings. He was flying towards something that was, it's difficult to describe, but he described it as the, as like ultimate darkness. And out of this ultimate darkness, or part of it was an orb that came toward him. And this orb, um, was full of light and he felt that it was his point of communication. He felt that the darkness, that in that darkness was God. And you know that, uh, that this point, this orb was his, intermediary that allowed God to communicate to him. And, uh, you know, and so the communication that came, um, the nature of who God is and so forth, uh, and the nature of even of what evil is about, uh, all these things were communicated to him. And they are in a number of ways in direct opposition to the Bible. And that is one of the most important and the most important issue that's involved in his book. But, you know, uh, the, he said that the angels that were flying, he said, you know, he, he, he decided at a certain point that he was going to use to the name of God that he chose to use, because this is what the angels were intoning, uh, is the word Om, O-M. Right. Now, anybody who understands anything about Eastern mysticism knows that Om is you know is is a name that is invoked to bring uh, 
of the gods of the, of the Eastern mystical world down into this world to accept sacrifice. And, you know, it's certainly a point of, that is a word that's used in meditation and so forth. It certainly is not a Christian name for God. Um, it's very clear in the course of his entire experience in this heaven that he visited, and he went back and forth during the course of this week. He went, he, for a period of time, he would be in this heavenly environment, then he would be thrown back down into what, what he called the earthworm's eye view or something to that, that effect, you know, that was this horrible uh, sort of uh, sewer swamp situation in darkness, back and forth, back and forth. Um, there are aspects to all of it that are very disturbing. I mean, uh, the one thing that I would say at the beginning is that what disturbed me at the very start was this loss of personality. Uh, he, this idea of being without any background, didn't know who he was, didn't know what he was, is antithetical as far as my understanding of Scripture is concerned to the way God deals with us and the way Jesus talked about heaven and about hell. Uh, instead, what it is, it has a similarity to two different uh, aspects of thought today. The first is uh, the idea of just sort of losing your personality through the Eastern mystical experience, you know, into enlightenment, to the place where you are just absorbed into Brahman. You know, you're, you know, you as a person don't exist anymore. You're just part of that great oversoul, you know, that is out there. The other aspect to it that disturbed me was. The fact that it is uh, very, very much like brainwashing. It is much like what happens in hypnosis. I've, as part of my interest in, in mentalism, I've studied hypnosis. And, you know, and, and so the idea that all of it is taken away, that your, your executive mind, your conscious mind has been essentially removed because you don't have any memory of anything. You're, you're just going along with what's going on here. There's a lot of similarity between uh, uh, that and, you know, and the idea of, of uh, hypnotic trance. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I looked at it. What does Jesus say? You know, Jesus says, you know, he tells his disciples, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Those two pronouns stand in stark juxtaposition to the experience of Dr. Alexander in his form of heaven. Uh, clearly, there are statements that <clears throat> when you get to where I'm going to create for you, uh, you're going to know me, I'm going to know you, and clearly, to do that, you're going to know who you are. You know, there's going to be self-awareness. You're not going to walk away from this uh, this uh, reality of who you have been. And, and I think that's extremely important. Paul talks about the idea that when we get to heaven, you know, we're, we're not going to be just bodiless spirits. We're, you know, he makes a strong point of that. And, and over and over again, there's nowhere in the New Testament do you find this idea that, well, you're just going to lose your personhood in order to enter heaven. Um, so that was one of the things that bothered me a lot at the very start. The truth claims that this woman makes to him, uh, there are three of them that she makes, I think are very fascinating, and they grow from being what I would call uh, an initial statement of that we could call true down to statements that are absolute lies. 
Um, maybe you remember them from the, from the book, as I, I point them out. These are the ultimate truth claims of his entire book. I consider them to be that. And it says, without using words, this woman, this girl, spoke to him, and her message, he said, had three parts. The first, and the first one she said, this is the first message, you are loved and cherished dearly forever. Now, you know, biblically, we can certainly make that statement. God is love, and he loves us uh, in an amazing way beyond our comprehension. Now, the second statement she says to him, you have nothing to fear. And the third statement is, there is nothing you can do wrong. Now, he considered this, Dr. Alexander considered that these statements weren't just statements about the experience in which he was living at that moment. They covered his entire life. And he felt that these were the messages that he was to bring back to the world and that these were messages for every single person on earth. Uh, These clearly, the idea that you can do nothing wrong and you have nothing to fear, well, that's rather conditional, isn't it? Jesus certainly took a different attitude toward that. He spoke about things that people should fear a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and certainly the idea of hell was one of them. Uh, This is a message, as I mentioned, that is really the message of universalism. Uh, There's really nothing to worry about. Everything's going to be fine. You don't have to worry about hell. You don't have to worry about repentance or salvation or uh, the, the reason Jesus died on the cross to deal with our sin or any of that. None of that is mentioned whatsoever. You have nothing to fear. Everything is fine forever. Uh, you know, it, it's really interesting because, um, you know, my my story, uh, part part of, uh, I don't know if I can call it my story, but um, in 2008, uh, uh, June 5th, I they lost me on an operating table for 20 minutes. And oh, I had, my goodness. Yeah. And I, I had an experience. I mean, I've, I've, I would say I've, I've been there. Right. Um, and I remember at that time, like I wasn't allowed to bring back any visual memories, but when I tell, like I'm writing an article for leadership journal right now about it, cause they've got a whole issue coming out in future about this whole topic. And so, you know, one of the things that I remember was I was allowed to bring back the feelings and the impressions, but not visual memories. And um, interestingly enough, as I'm hearing, you know, what Alexander is saying when he's saying there weren't words, it sounds to me like he was given feelings and impressions and he's interpreted them and he's put his own interpretation. Maybe he did feel incredibly loved and it made him feel as if... um, all of all of his sin, you know, uh, that it could be covered by this love. But it sounds like he's put a spin on it and an interpretation. And 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 I like this kind of middle ground where you're like, hey, we're not completely discrediting that he had an experience, but it sounds like that's kind of what you're saying, his interpretation of these things. Because if they spoke to him wordlessly, um, it, it just sounds to me like he's he's getting stuff a bit backwards. Would would you say that was well, that could be the case. I, I would go a little a little uh, further. I, because, of course, I believe very much in, and after having studied as much as I have about hypnosis and the nature of the trance state and the nature of what is possible 
uh, for people to experience in that trance state when the executive or conscious mind is set aside. And for better, we, we use these terms conscious and subconscious or unconscious. We really don't know what these things mean, but, you know, it's about the best we can do. When the unconscious mind uh, is then suddenly brought to the surface and the executive mind is set aside, what it is possible to create for the human being to consider as actual memory, as real, as having happened to them, can be a total illusion. And, you know, and, and so my belief is at this point that, yes, he experienced and saw everything experienced, and what he heard was what the message that she had for him was all there, but the entire experience was an illusion created for him to see. Interesting. That is what I believe this is. And, you know, in my, my, you know, my um, in-depth reading about hypnosis and study of hypnosis, the idea that his, his conscious mind, in a strange way, his executive mind, part of it is set aside. He is extremely vulnerable. Uh, he is given a vision that is not from God, but it is designed to give him a message uh, of what heaven looks like, but it isn't heaven. This is not really heaven. Now, that's my belief. No. And, you know, and, and I, I, yeah. One of the things, too, that you mentioned in the book, Coleman, is that, <clears throat> you know, uh, how how a demon can present himself to us is, you know, as the angel of light. And there, uh, every good lie, great lie, has elements of truth in it. Absolutely. And you point this out very specifically in the book. For instance, um, you know, one of the things that you just talked about, in fact, this is one of my highlights from the book, uh, one thing is very clear, Jesus is not Dr. Alexander's God. Never would Jesus call himself Om or the name of any other pagan deity. Uh, neither is he the orb interpreter, which, uh, as you alluded to earlier, that was one of the things that, that he saw was this uh, interpreter between God and himself and um, and the way that his, uh, you know, this, this woman... Uh, described the interpreter, I believe it was something along the lines, and you can correct me, um, he was, you know, part human and part something else. I mean, it, it gave the impression um, that a Christian might look at that and go, oh, okay, well, that must have been Jesus, you know, 100% man, 100% God. And that was, you know, kind of this this idea that the uh, that the the woman was trying to present that this uh, – orb interpreter was and um and you know every great lie has elements of truth to it that's right and you know and i <clears throat> i think that the the nature of illusion and the proneness our proneness as human beings to believe and accept illusion and delusion uh you know is is um quite amazing uh, when you begin to study the nature of memory, the way what we do understand about memory today, uh, boy, you know, you, you start questioning, you know, the, when Jesus called us sheep, he had a real reason for doing so. And, you know, and, and this is uh, part of it is that we are so easily uh, manipulated in so many different directions. And, yes, the, uh, the nature of, you know, of how you read experience and how you interpret it 
Um, I am one. I when you know Paul says that there's going to come a great delusion in the last days, and I believe that we're seeing the foundations of that delusion in a number of different directions right now. Uh, it's going to be so amazing that you know that basically the whole world is going to believe in it. Uh, I think there's a, a trance state that is coming for the entire human race, and we're we're prone to it now. Uh, all these things mean that we interpret what we read or experience from our own grid uh, of understanding. And you know, and the problem we have for a lot of Christians today is that they no longer have in any practical way, a biblical understanding that has that gives them a grid to examine the world experiences around them. Yeah. Uh, they're not, they, the Christians do not know the Bible today the way they have done in previous generations. And this is the fault of the church. So a lot of people read Dr. Alexander's book, and they will look at it and say, well, obviously this is a Christian experience because they don't understand what the Bible says about these things. And so I think that's a huge problem, and what I was trying to address in in a way in writing the book that I wrote, The Critique. Yeah, in fact, um, a couple of quotes here that I've got, and these I thought were so uh, uh, powerful and right on topic. You listed the tests that the New Testament gives for um, examining uh, a vision, examining uh, or, or dealing with... Um, you know, a, a potential angel. Um, you know, there there were there are tests given to us in the New Testament. Let me see here. I've got First uh, uh, Corinthians twelve three. The Apostle Paul tells us this. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, beautiful creatures of light who are really servants of darkness will say many nice things about Jesus. They will call him teacher, prophet, avatar, and much more, but they will never say Jesus is Lord because he is not their Lord. And I just thought it was so uh, powerful and so important that we understand as Christians, we were given these, these tests that we can, you know, test out these things. You know, is this really from God? Let's, let's put it to the test. That's right. And, you know, and, and along that line, too, I mean, we've been given the Scripture as um, the measuring rod that we should use in examining and then determining whether something is true. And, you know, and, and, but the subtlety of the lies, it's pretty amazing. I mean, is God incredibly loving? Uh, he, is, he is love, you know, and so uh, if Satan can present himself as an angel of light, he can present himself as an angel of love. And I, am, I firmly believe that he can communicate to human beings the, the clearest fake illusion of heaven that anyone ever could, because he spent plenty of time there. And so, you know, I, you know as you deal with the power, I think we, we minimize the powers of darkness and what they can accomplish. And, you know, and, and that's part of our problem. I mean, you know, everybody's running around rebuking Satan in so many churches, they don't really understand who he is and what he can do. Yeah, absolutely. and you know, and I don't think these rebukes mean much much of anything in most cases. But you know, the the issue of you know of the influence that's taking place right now, you know, I'll, we we are experiencing a new form of syncretism, mm. and you see it with you know we mentioned Dan Brown's writings. You know, the idea, the influence of Gnosticism that was there 
in the early church. It has been there influencing over the centuries, and it is coming back in great waves. And, you know, I believe that what Dr. Alexander wrote uh, in many ways uh, adds to this kind of syncretism, you know, of Eastern mystical thought and Greek philosophy and so forth with Christianity. And uh, that that is a hellish combination that has been very destructive to many, many people. Yeah, you know the uh, the Gnostic cult. You know, it's uh, it's like Jar Jar Binks in the uh, Star Wars prequels. Just it keeps popping up. You know, as much as it's, you, you don't want you don't want Gnosticism to come back, but you know, it's almost like Satan's like George Lucas. You know, he just keeps popping him in there to goad us. But uh, it's hard to keep a good cult down. You know, Gnostics. That's right. When you've got a good idea, why not promote it? And that's what I, in all the the things that I'm writing in different ways. I mean, there's Satan works in patterns. And those patterns uh, are established, and we can see them. They may grow. They they're embellished. They you know they're they're recreated in new forms given to the, the cultural milieu in which he wants to present them. But they're basically patterns. And if you don't understand those patterns, and you certainly can find them in the scripture, um, you know you are you're not prepared to deal with the kind of lies that are going to be coming upon us and are coming upon us. So Absolutely. you know I, I'm deeply concerned for Christians who, I mean, there are Christians who have excoriated me because I just didn't accept what Dr. Alexander wrote. I would say this, you know, there's something I didn't write in the in my book uh, that I would add to this as a proof of where this man is coming from. I didn't put it into the book because I wanted to remain with the, the stay with his statements that were made in the experience itself and examine those from the standpoint of the Bible. But at the end of his book, and I didn't mention this in my book, he promotes an organization and says people should get involved with this organization. Uh, that organization is the Monroe Institute in Virginia. I have been familiar with the Monroe Institute for many years. It was started by a man named Robert Monroe. He wrote a number of books, and the purpose for that organization is to promote astral projection. Mm. I have a friend of mine from Hollywood who is, by the way, not a Christian, but has studied many esoteric uh, subjects. When, uh, years ago, I was talking about the Monroe Institute. This is long before um, uh, Alexander's book came out. Uh, he, he said to me, not a Christian, he said to me, you know, I went to the Monroe Institute and I began to study there. But it was the sense of evil was so great, I couldn't stand to remain. Wow. Non-Christian. You know, it, it's funny because if you were the devil, right, you wouldn't have a book where he says, you know, look, the uh, ancient god Cthulhu, uh, you know, came to me and said, you know, we're the old gods and we're taking Earth back. Um, you would. You would use, if you were Satan, you would use Jesus, but you would change him like the Gnostics did. You would, you would alter the, uh, the, 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 the perception of Jesus. And, and what's amazing is when you talk about the syncretism and how you know, it's all the uh, universalistic things that people already want to believe put in there. If, if you can use this argument from authority that you know, basically uh, Jesus said to me, I am Om, and then you make all Christians look like idiots. You make them look like, you know, uh, you know, fundamentalist rednecks. And at the end of the day, 
um, you debunk those that, as Paul says, we should be regarded as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Um, you know, it's, it's us. What he's actually doing is he's taking, he's killing the messengers, you know, in, in that book. And I notice in your comments on Amazon where people were making those kind of statements where basically they were railing against, uh, Bible believing, uh, Christians in response to your book. Oh, yes. I, if you go to uh, go to the Amazon site where this book is, and not and, and beyond the, the, there's one that's of course the U.S. site. Go to the U.K. site. Oh my goodness! Uh, I mean, the and you know, and I I try. I've done it com, uh, consistently, but I try to make to respond to their comments at least once. You know, to sort of make my statement when they make their comments about uh, about the book. You know, generally speaking, what you face is not ever dealing with the evidence in the book or wanting to deal with the scripture of the Bible. It's really, you know, these are these are just uh, general uh, statements about how obviously I'm a fool, you know, and I'm just, a, you know, one of these fundamentalist Christians and how dangerous we are to the world and all the rest. So um, as I say at the beginning of my book, the real issue of that we face today, I believe, and this isn't my idea. This was, I don't know if it was Carl F.H. Henry or one of the Christian philosophers of half a century ago. He said the ultimate, uh, you know, crisis we face is the issue of authority. What authority are you going to use to guide your life? You know, and, and that is the issue that we are all dealing with. And that's why it's so important that Dr. Alexander be presented because he is an ultimate human authority figure. So the issue is authority. I want to run my own life, and I want the authorities given to me that will say that's fine to do it. Whatever I do, it doesn't matter. The issue is authority. I think the it's, other issue is yeah. mythology. Um, I'm a storyteller. I'm basically, you know, I'm, as I've said, you know, I'm, I'm no scholar. I just, but I'm a storyteller. And, you know, did you see the last Superman movie? Of course. Um, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, that's Let's kind of an old <laughs> isn't it? You know, I mean, that is the ultimate statement. This whole tremendous, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's like a mythological spasm, you know, that we've experienced for the past 50 years about superheroes. Uh, where's all this come from? You know, why is all this appearing? What is this? What is the idea behind this? Well, clearly in Superman, it's as clearly stated as it can be. You know, we're on the way to becoming gods ourselves, aren't we? We just have to follow Superman, and he will show us the way. You know, uh, we'll all become more than we are now, and we just need the right guide. I mean, it's everywhere, friends. It's everywhere. Well, um, you know, it's interesting. With uh, with my experience years ago, um, you know, I have to always interested in that. I mean, that's fascinating. I collect these. You know, I mean, <laughs> I haven't wanted to hear his story because I'm afraid I won't like him anymore. Yeah, well, you know, it's the I truth. I've never always... heard his story. I don't want to hear it. I'm like, I don't want to tell it to you. <laughs> I, I don't want to hear it. Before man. I want to hear it. <laughs> pearls before swine. Here, here's the deal. The, the reality is, it, it's kind of like, um, for me, I always have to keep in mind um, the, the reality or, or the possibility that this may have been exactly what you're talking about. It may be that. And, you know, here I am, I'm a minister, um, you know, I, I, I've studied theology, I've got an MA, and 
you know, been to seminary, you know, bought the T-shirt. We won't that. hold that against you. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's almost kind of embarrassing to say that. I got some street cred, you know. I gotta gotta look after my my reputation. But but here's the deal, you know, the, these things you always have to. I mean, for me, the the impact it had on me was profound. And I mean, um, I you know, uh, I'm 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 fairly convinced it was the real deal because of the impact and also because of the test of scripture. But absolutely what, what people don't, I think realize is that, um, there, this guy is, is placing himself. And when people make these claims and obviously our listeners don't hear me talk about my experience all the time because it, it is, it is my experience and experiences are subjective truths rather than objective truths. This scripture is an eyewitness account. It is also a claim uh, on spiritual matters. And so for people to resent the fact that you've uh, compared one claim against another is, is just, it's, it's just unintelligent. I mean, it's just a matter of people being, it, it 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 basically betrays our prejudices, and um, so I'm I'm really glad that we had a book uh, like yours. I love the title. Uh, it's it, it, Alexander's book is Proof of Heaven. What I love is that Coleman Lux's book is Proof of Heaven. <laughs> Just adds a question mark on the end, and uh, <laughs> which is a brilliant marketing tactic, right, Pete? That's it. Comes up in <laughs> <And> the searches. <laughs> Well, you know, here's the deal. You know, we, we want to thank you for coming on. We believe that there is a strong link between apologetics. We believe this is a very relevant topic. Um, our people are going to encounter this book in conversations, and uh, church planners are as frontline as you get. And so, uh, you know, uh, Coleman, we thank you for writing this book. Well, thank you, and blessings on you guys and the work you're doing, and all these uh, people who are planting churches. I just think it's wonderful. <laughs> all right. Well, you guys heard it from uh, Coleman Luck himself. And, uh, hey, write an episode about us. We, next time you're writing a script, write an episode <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not doing that. Podcasts. I'm retired now, remember? I mean, I'm writing books now. This is... <laughs> I, I see a comeback in your future. This uh, okay? Picture the setting now: two church planning podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just pitching to you. That's yeah, all. These, I mean, like witnesses of the Book of Revelation who were both killed after a certain period of time. <laughs> yes, but they were podcasters, and that's how the message reached a whole world. And and fire. Okay, I'm going to stop there now. But anyways, hey Coleman, thanks for coming on. And this has been the Church Planner Podcast. Reminding you that if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you need to go where no one's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Church